Martin, do you have five on it? Uh, all, all five? Ten? All, all ten? All ten fingers? All twenty <laughs> fingers and toes? I think, it, does that mean you call it? Like, if they got five on it, is that what they're going for? I don't know, but we've been learning a lot of rap lyrics and what they actually mean on this trip. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Idea Lemon's Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, and his name is... Martin McGovern! We are the founders of Idea Lemon, and if you didn't know, this is the... Idea Lemon Roadshow, season two of our Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We're on a six-week road Holy trip. Holy crap, it's the LAX sign. <laughs> a six-week road trip around the country. We started in Chicago, where we live, and we're out west right now in LA, having a good time, and we're documenting our, our journey along the way. So this podcast episode is really cool. Uh, we did this with Srinivas Rao, who is Srini. the host of the Unmistakable Creative podcast and also the, I guess, owner of Unmistakable Media. Well, what's really kind of interesting and cool about this is uh, Srini is someone whose podcast we've listened to for a long time. It was like the third one I ever downloaded and I binge watched it, binge listened, I guess, for just two years. And here he is on ours. It's amazing. And that's what's kind of cool about doing this road trip is we're able to connect with the people who, you know, we look up to or just we've seen do cool things and we've said, yeah, we should go meet them. People doing dope shit. <laughs> so our conversation with Srini was, it was really interesting because several times during it, we got interrupted by the Mauled house by dog. by a dog, I believe. <laughs> the we house mauled. dog whom we're staying with. Um, so there might be a couple breaks in the conversation, but we'll, we'll work through it. Uh, anyways, the conversation with Srini was around, it actually started with how do you become that guy or that girl? But as the conversation unfolded, what we ended up re- resolving was how do you stay tenacious? So that no, was, that a- was the last one. No, no. Or sorry. Fuck. It was, how do you roll with the punches? How do you roll with the punches so, as you are yeah, right exactly. now? Case in point. Martin, where's your airline? Uh, I believe Virgin no, Atlantic Virgin is right America. up here. All right, Virgin America, Virgin Atlantic. Right. I'm also dropping Martin off at the airport. No, I'm going to Virgin America, not Atlantic. All right, cool, so okay. we're fine. We're okay, anyways, <laughs> it was how do you roll with the punches? And this is an intro of just rolling with the punches. Rolling so. with them. <laughs> Couldn't be a better timing. We got to get it done. I'm getting on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it was a really good conversation. So listen into this one. And before we dive in, if you didn't know already, our road trip and our podcast is in partnership with none other than the awesome travel community, Under 30 Experiences. They take like-minded young adults who want to see the world and they show them the world by putting together really affordable trip packages. Uh, I recommend the best way to go on one of their trips is to go without knowing anyone and then you meet everyone there and you have an awesome time. You make new friends and in my, case, in my case, you give a TED Talk because yeah, of it. <laughs> I, I did it in Iceland. It was absolutely amazing. I didn't know anyone when I got there. It was a total different world. It was wonderful. So check them out. And in, we, again, we're in partnership with them. And they've been really cool for us. We've been hosting meetups for Under 30 Experiences along our journey. And to help you get out from behind your desk and get out and see the world, they've tossed us a promo code for you, the listener. So go to under30experiences.com. Find that trip that you want to take, whether it's Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Bali, Brazil, Machu Picchu, or wherever, Ireland, they got others. Scotland's coming. And enter the promo code IDEALEMON, all one word, for $100 off your booking. Think of what you can do with that $100. That's strip club money. Oh, yeah. That's, That's more money, or that's money back on your flight ticket. That is... 
a, all that's the a nice gummy steak. bears. Think of all the gummy bears you could buy with $100. Like five pound bags on bags on bags. So check them out, under30experiences.com. And again, the promo code is Idea Lemon. All right, enough about all that stuff. Let's dive into our conversation now with Srinivas Rao, where we talk how do you roll with the punches. We'll check in with you after the show. Rolling, rolling, rolling. So I think the whole idea, so you mentioned Matt is. Everyone knows to go to him for the travel, the eating healthy, that kind of lifestyle stuff. And then, Srini, you mentioned, like, sometimes people will come to you for things that you don't necessarily know a whole lot about. Right. That, to me, is a lot like on LinkedIn when you can endorse people for things. Like, I get so many endorsements of things I know zero things about. Like, people will endorse me for social media advertising and SEO, and I don't know the first thing about either. Yeah. Yet, according to LinkedIn, I, I am an influencer in those categories. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get I get tagged for a lot of things mainly because I think for us what was interesting is that we're I, you know this is something I've been saying to a lot of people is we're kind of the oddball of the online marketing world because we started there interviewing bloggers but then we evolved into what we are now which is unmistakable creative and our whole show is based on just stories of interesting people and so you know it, there's a little bit of crossover but the strange thing is that we really you know we don't know if somebody said hey can you teach us about affiliate marketing i would be like no i don't know anything about it yeah. or can you teach us how to build a podcast and build an audience We're like no that's the antithesis of everything we believe in we would never teach you how to do that mm. uh, the one thing i think we we kind of have have drawn a really strong line about is that we're like we don't want to teach people how to become us like i have no interest in being that because i feel that that's a large part of what the entirety of the internet is is based on like these sort of solopreneur ideas and, and models are okay hey i did this and now i'm going to teach you how to do it in exactly the way i did it so basically i'm teaching how to become me and it's you know I, I think a good example of this is the the just sheer volume of tim ferris copycats that have been spawned because of the internet and the reality is there's one person who should be the next tim ferris and that's Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. Whereas anybody else trying to be Tim is just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I think, you know, and, and it's like, I get it. It's very tempting to look at something that's incredibly successful and say, okay, how do I do that? Like one of my first online projects was a website called 100reasonsyoushouldhireme.com. And I came up with the idea because this girl started a website called twittershouldhireme.com. And her idea was awesome. And yeah, it was executed it was so cool. beautifully. I mean, she got tons of national media attention. She uh, ended up getting an offer from Twitter and, and ended up starting this company. So I was like, well, I could do that, not knowing what actually went into that. So there's 100 reasons you tried me. And I, I, mine was an epic failure by all accounts. But the ultimate failure was I couldn't come up with 100 reasons why anybody should hire me. I was like, now i got some serious problems. I really should you know, go back. I should have bought the URL for 25. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That would have been a better idea. And even then, my, idea, my, my reasons were all just nonsense. They were like bullet points from my resume that honestly were useless. Right. So it's just more of the same. It's just, exactly. But the thing is, like, that's our temptation, right? We see something that works and we're like, oh, I could go do that and I'll get the same result. And of course you don't. And it's like... You know, another example that I, I looked at, you know, as I've been in research for the book I'm writing is Humans of New York, right? Mm -hmm. You look at Humans of New York and you do a search on Facebook for Humans oh of... Oh my God. It's a million it's, copycats. I mean, there's one copycat after another. Yeah. You know, like I think every city has one at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, so we're kind of in that boat of, not copycatting, but 
we're trying to help people sure. do not necessarily not well i guess in a way make their own ideal and but the idea is that you know, like, like we've built a course that we'll be selling later that is on launching a side project because it worked well for us right and i want people to not have to just look at me or and look at martin and be like well, i can never do that sure i'm gonna be like yeah hell yeah I can yeah do that. i mean the thing I think the the idea so this is the the phrase that I've often said is that you want to treat everybody's advice as a compass, not a map, right? That's a good way to put it. And the problem is that most people treat it as a map, and and that's where we get into trouble. And that's the result of that is a lot of things that look exactly the same that don't stand out. And the worst part of it is it's really not much fun. Like people are basically robbing themselves of their own gifts and the own the things that they could contribute that are uniquely them, that nobody would ever think of doing but them, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to looking at, okay, how did, you know, some famous blogger or somebody else do it? I'll, and I'll, I'll give you guys a concrete example. We were sitting around a kitchen table uh, when we were designing Unmistakable Creative. I'm like, well, how are we going to do an about page? You know, we want to do something that's really cool. And so we looked at all the about pages on the internet. and We looked at blog posts about how to write an about page. And we're like, we're idiots. Why would we do this? Like, shut down our computers and like, okay, what if we didn't know anything about all this stuff? How would we approach it then? And, you know, uh, my mentor and business partner at the time looked at me and said, well, what if we made it a cartoon? He said, Mm. like, nobody has a cartoon as an about Mm -hmm. page. That's not listed as a best practice anywhere. And if you look at our about page, if you've been to it, it's it's really cool as hell. It's awesome. Like, it's totally different than anything you would find on any other podcast. Right. And I feel like people are filled with ideas like that, that are, that they don't try because they're like, oh, well, that's not, you know, how you're supposed to do it. Yeah, it's that. And it's also, it's like, what's the path of least resistance or what allows me to think the least, right? Like everyone wants like, what's the perfect script I should send to, you know, hear back from this sales rep or, you know, a salesperson, hear back from the client or what's the perfect script I need to use or what's the perfect... Thing I need to yeah, write. but that's inauthentic. Like that's right. That's what I'm saying. I say it, it's 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 a lack of thinking. It's it's the easy way out. And there are cases where you can use scripts, but I always feel like scripts are the same way you said it's a compass, right? Yeah. It's a starting point, but then you modify from there and you figure totally. out what's your sound. Because I know I can send an email that doesn't sound anything like me, and it's probably not going to get a response because it's it's. Even via internet, it's inauthentic. Well, even if it does get a response, then you've kind of got a bait and switch to deal with, right? It's kind of like basically, let's say that some girl puts up a, you know, an online picture on an online dating site yeah. and she looks cute in the picture and she turns out to be ugly as hell when you meet yeah. her in person. That's effectively the same thing. I realize it's a crude analogy. No, you're catfishing people. That's what template yeah. resumes are. That's what template websites are. You're just catfishing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once they get in the door, they see the real you. It's, it's not not at all what you're trying to go for. And I think one of the things that I do like about what we're teaching is the fact that we're not saying create our side project. We're saying go create whatever your own is. Right. And that'll come out in a million different ways and people have to be their own thing from that Mm -hmm. point forward. I guess, yeah, point one in the course is define who you are first and then create everything from there. So yeah, we're not saying this is who you are. We're saying this is how to find out who you are. So be unique in the space. It's more so just probing with questions because, I mean, with... Well, the other thing is, you know, I, I like <clears throat> I think that it's an important question. I think the idea that you'll arrive at it in one day, two days, or one course is a bit ridiculous, right? You spent your whole life following instructions, doing what you're told, mm-hmm. and now you're trying to figure out something on your own. To break that conditioning alone is, you know, yeah. that takes a long time. 
I think the entire experience is a process of self-discovery, right? Like it took us four years to get to the idea of unmistakable, like four years and 400 conversations mm-hmm. later. We're like, that's it right there. Right. That's it. We can take that and we can do so many different things with it. And you know, now it's led to all these things that we couldn't have planned or predicted. It was like, okay, wow, cool. We got a, a book deal with a big publisher. Like, you know, all the things that you dream about, but I mean, who the hell would have known five years ago that it would lead to anything? Yeah. It's like, all right, cool. Like, you know, we have this podcast for bloggers and we'll just keep doing it and doing it and doing it until somehow you So I, I think the idea that you'll know right off the bat is a little bit sketch. Do I need to lean forward? No, you're sure. Okay. Um, no, I think that's a really good point. And, but with... When you say it took four years, I mean, you were still using that, that name, that brand, right? No. No? no. Oh, I mean, so we, this was prior to even... Yeah, I mean, Unmistakable, as you know it today, which... Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, we got a dog just like... Yeah, all you know why? It's because her bone fell in between the couches. She knows the minute you put her in there. She's still, we're closing the cage, yeah. yeah. Oh, whatever. She's calm now. Okay. All right, so what were we talking about? So we were talking about Blogcast FM. And you guys were doing that for four years before coming up with Unmistakable. And when you hit on Unmistakable, what was kind of the, the click in your head that was like, this is the thing? Well, I mean, we published a book. Like, I, I, published, I self-published a book yep. called Art of Being Unmistakable that did, you know, relatively well. And the result of that was, oh, you know, I mean, I had a mentor who had worked with me. He said, you know, you've done a really good job building an audience, but he said, we don't really have a brand. The brand had no identity. And he said, I think we need to do a serious brand overhaul and make some really big changes. And I was like, okay, what do you have in mind? I mean, he must have sent me 150 different names. And I was like, these are all shit. Like, every day I would get names. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, no do you remember the worst one? I don't remember the worst <laughs> one. I remember the, the suggestions in terms of logo lookalikes. We're like, no, I fucking hate this logo. Like, he said, hey, what about the logo for Jezebel.com? I'm like, I hate that logo. It looks horrible. You know, we went through a couple of different ideas, and uh, I don't remember what they were. I didn't like any of them. But then, you know, one day he said, unmistakable creative. And I was like, that's it. Like, it was one of those moments where you're just kind of like, it, it, it aligns so well with the book and everything else. Because, you know, we were starting to really gain momentum and build, you know, around this sort of idea that, wait a minute, like, I guess really the fundamental shift for me personally was when I started to look at my work more through the lens of being an artist than a marketer, right? And looking at it as, okay, I'm here to build a body of work and a legacy and something iconic that I want to have a lasting impact that that will be here long after I'm gone, like, to, to sort of create a ripple beyond measure, right? That just kind of keeps going and going and going. Uh, I guess, you know, waves are, are a perfect analogy in some ways, right? It's just like a wave that never that never ends. But I mean, you know, it's like one wave after another, right? They just keep coming and coming and coming, even if they hit shore. So you, you think about it, like every, you know, for us, it was always about how many people can we impact and how many lives can this change uh, in ways that we may never even know about. If you listen to our show, like we profile people, I think ultimately, you know, so many of the stories are redemption stories of people who've gone out and faced incredible hardships, but have come out the other side of it, you know, significantly better. But the idea uh, of unmistakable uh, was really, in a lot of ways, I mean, it was just something that needed to percolate, and it just came to the surface in 2013 after doing a book cover. 
And then, you know, the idea just became more and more pervasive. It was sort of the question that drove everything we did. It was like, how is this unmistakable when we planned a conference? Every detail was run through this filter and, you know, it was agonizing. It, it really is. Like anybody who works with us, there's probably not one person who has worked with us on a project who won't tell you. It's like working with those guys is hell. <laughs> but they'll say, oh, I've also done the best work I've ever done yeah. when I've worked with them. Yeah. Like that's, you know, you ask anybody who has done a project with us, like it's a whole other level. Like we, our standards are just ridiculous. You know, we're, um, you know, right now producing an animated series. I mean, every time we ship something, we're like, you know, the goal is how do you make this so memorable that not only can they not compare it to something else, they'll also never forget it. Yeah. I think, well, and what's key with that, even to the start of Unmistakable Creative, the name is that you didn't sit around for four years thinking what did, what's what's the name of this? This needs to be a cool name. No, you did I mean, the work. That's that's the one thing there. You know, and that's that's a good point. Like I think the one thing that I have that I've always sort of taken for granted and I've never realized is that I've had a bias towards action. Right? When we had when we wanted to plan an event, people were like, How are you gonna pull this off? I'm like, I have no fucking idea. I'm mm -hmm. just gonna put up a landing page and start inviting people and I'm gonna ask speakers and you know, I mean that starts in a moleskin notebook and you know nine months later i'm standing on stage in front of 60 people yeah you know and we'll, we've sold out this thing at 1300 a ticket it's like how the hell did we do this yeah but that again i think that comes from just you know a bias towards action like i don't sit around wondering how is this going to work i'm like well let's just do it you know right now you know we're kind of we're like we were we're t talking about a, a documentary that we want to make and we're like, okay, where do we start here? This is a whole other level of, of production from you know, producing a podcast. And we're like, okay, who do we know? That's where we start. It's like one action. It's like, well, you know, we had a former guest who was the producer for one. It's like, we'll call him up and ask him if he wants to have breakfast with us. And we can ask him questions about how do we start from here? Like, yeah. we want to film a documentary. So I, I think a bias towards action is really really important and i see so many people who get trapped in that sort of you know i'm thinking about what i want to do phase or you know whatever it is uh i'll give you another example that i think is really interesting uh greg hartle is a friend of mine and a mentor that, that i've worked with very closely uh and he was even a, an equity holder in our company for a while and he told a story of uh being in seattle one day and he wanted to start a fashion line, knowing nothing about fashion. So he walked in to a tailor, a custom tailor, and he tells the guy, I want to start a fashion line, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, it's a really nice day, you should just go out and be on your boat. He's like, well, I don't have a boat, but I want to start a fashion line, can you help me? The guy looks at him and he says, all right. He goes and he closes the shop, and it turns out that guy has a boat and he takes him out for the entire day and tells him everything he ever wanted to know about fashion. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's the thing, right? It's, it's kind of like how many people think that, you know, it's like, wait a minute, that opportunity is literally right at your fingertips. Right. Like the person, you know, down the street, you know, it's, it's like there's so many ways that things can be done, even if we don't know how. It's always like, okay, I don't know how to do this. Like, I, I was yeah. like, I want to produce an animated series. I have no fucking idea how this is going to happen. You know what? I will find people who can make it happen. Yeah. And... I know that I have the idea, so I can go to the, you know, all the people who can execute, and my job is to basically manage it and make sure it doesn't turn into a complete disaster. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is like, 
uh, I mean, and that's maybe to uh, Martin to your either dismay or frustration. I share the same kind of attitude where like my general response is like, we'll see, or we'll, we'll figure it, it out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find a way. Uh, because if you don't just get started, then you hold yourself back because every, everything has to be perfect. Well, nothing is going to go according to plan anyways. So right. that's, that's the, the, there's this sort of myth, I think, that you will have this perfect time, perfect place where everything is going to go exactly according to your plan. I mean, I think our meeting here is a perfect example of that. I was supposed to meet you guys at 6. I had this genius idea that I would go surf. <laughs> and, of course, I'm like, yeah, I can get from way the fuck up in northern LA <laughs> all the way to you know downtown in an hour and a half at 5.30 in LA like and you know what and, and then the other part of my plan is like one more wave I'm like well that's not going to go according to my plan that's going to yeah. go according to the ocean's plan yeah and you can't control dogs either <laughs> yeah and then, and then you do get here and there's a dog attacking you seriously <laughs> So I think that that idea is really, even when I write, right, every morning I sit down and I face a blank page, I'm like, you know, I, I know I'm going to get to a thousand words, but that's about all I can plan, you know, it's like, and a lot of it will be really bad, but I'm like, if I sit down and I commit to the thousand words, something, will yeah. you know, I, I'm writing a book right now, so I'm, I'm experiencing, it's like, I remember when we started, I was like, how the hell are we going to get from here to 50,000 words? This is insane. <laughs> but then you, I mean, you set mile markers along the yeah, way, right? Yeah, it's like, you got to get the first hundred Well, in the next hundred. I think that that's, that's really important. You make a good point, right? I think the Sean Acor, who's a happiness researcher, talked about, he said, the more, the closer we think we are towards a goal, they call it success songs, the more likely we are to make progress towards it, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, for example, it's like, if you're, here's another, for my own world, you know, I'll use surfing examples because that's what's, you know, familiar to me. Like, if you surf a five-foot day, you know, you see the report the next day is going to be six. Well, and if you shredded it and like just ripped it up on a five foot day, you're much more likely to go out with confidence on a six foot day. It's like, okay, what the hell is one foot in, in the grand scheme of things, right? And you just keep leveling up. But, you know, if you're a, a beginner and you've caught one wave on like, you know, whitewater, like on angle high waves, and you find out the report is six feet the next day, you're going to get your ass handed to you, no matter what. Like, it's just not going to work out. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just not smart to, to attempt to do that. So it's kind of, you know, recognizing that you're making progress is definitely important. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that when you set goals that are realistic, it's easy to blow past them, and then you can just reset them to higher things. Whereas I think, you know, what often people will do, especially because they see something that it's like, hey, wait a minute, this person got like a seven-figure book deal or this person has a million people who listen to their podcast or whatever, they're like, okay, that's the goal that I want. And the thing is that that goal is so far off in the future that what you do today has very little impact on you getting to that. So as a result, you're kind of like, okay, well, what's the point? Yeah. Whereas if the goal is a little lower, you're much more likely to reach it. And then you're like, okay, cool. So I think that, you know, part of it is if you see that you're making progress towards a goal, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I think so that, I mean, that kind of, for me, brings to mind, uh, I'm pretty into yoga and literally every day is just a little bit of progress. And, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm at the, right. Like I'm at the point now and I started practicing in March. It's what, September now already? Um and, you know, I started and was, you know, crap at it, 
but you just keep going back and it's yeah. like you know I'm at the point now where I'm trying to stick a, a handstand and hold it for several seconds but I there's I wouldn't even be close to that you couldn't you even know? comprehend that on exactly the first day, right like but, I couldn't have comprehended planning a 60 person nine speaker conference when I started the podcast yeah you know like there there's such gargantuan it's, it's such a gargantuan difference in goals but what's interesting is that once you've done one of those really big things you're normal gets adjusted. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you're like, okay, we've done this before. I mean, you know, the idea that I, I used to think that there would be this day magically when all our problems would just vanish and I'm like, wow, that's never going to happen. <laughs> like, it really isn't. It, it's just that you learn to deal with them and you deal with a whole different set of problems. Like, you know, today my publisher calls me, she said, hey, I, I have to have a tough conversation with you. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, what is this about? She says, yeah, she said, you know, I know you wanted, you know, the right one of your artists to design our book cover. She said, but our art director isn't completely on board with that. And they want to do, think, you know, whatever. They want to show you a few different ideas. I was like, really? That's it? Like, yeah. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's so minuscule in comparison to some of the other shit, like, you know, we've had to deal with. And you're kind of like, and so what happens is that those kinds of things don't become as the, the, the st same stupid thing that like is a huge source of stress right it's like when somebody starts like oh my god I completely mangled and destroyed this podcast episode I'm gonna have to email this guy back and re-record and it's like yeah so much <laughs> like really like yeah. but I mean when you're starting out something like that seems like such a big deal yeah that actually happened to us we lost an entire recording uh, yeah. This one time we had to re-record it ended up leading to just a second really great conversation. Well, and we were able to use the fact that the first one messed up as like a jumping off point for the second one. So it, I, yeah. I, it did make for an even better conversation, I think. Yeah. Um, I love this idea of leveling up, though. Kind of, you know, like as you, the first time you play a video game, like, yeah. especially one that you can't save. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everything um, on Nintendo yeah, and Sega. Because that's where my <laughs> video game experience kind of Dude, ends. That's why you use the cheat code on Contra. <laughs> Up, down, left, right, up, down, left, yeah. right, A, B, B, A, B, B, A. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, like, with, with, like, Sonic in those games, like, you know, the first time you play that first level, it's impossible. But, like, once you've gotten however many levels and you have to keep going through it every time, yeah. it's, like, and that's the same with writing them. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I journal every morning, and every morning it's, like, 750words.com. I'm sitting here with a blank page. But in some days it comes flowing out. Other days all I'm typing is how hard this is. And it's, it's really just one of those things where... Um, you know, you've talked about it before, the first time you got on stage to, to rap, it was much harder than, like, you know, the 25th time. Yeah. And I like this idea of leveling up to the point where uh, not only it doesn't, the fact that that doesn't even matter anymore, but um, it's really, your, your levels of stress don't rise either. It's like, what was super stressful back in college, yeah. which wouldn't stress me out today, is just as stressful as, like, the big thing I'm dealing with now, which is... Ten times more important than what I dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I, like I've gotten to manage budgets where I was like, "Oh my god, I'm like this is more money than any I've ever been handed," and I'm like, "And I'm responsible for this," and I'm like everything has to go according to plan. Yeah, and you know, I've made mistakes, and I was like, "Shit!" Like there were mistakes that were like, "Wait a minute, that was like two thousand dollars that we just flushed down the toilet based mm -hmm. on one stupid mistake." Well, what do you do about that? Nothing. You're like, "Great, I just pissed away two grand of you know." other people's money yeah you know and, and i was like and now we're gonna make less because of this yeah 
Well, it's like even from like, and, and just to use a weird example, like from a physiological level, right? Your body's level of stress or happiness is pretty much set. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be this much, this stressed uh, when you're confronted with a problem because your body doesn't know what the problem is, right? Yeah. It's just stress. So the stress line is the same. Mm-hmm. And it's like your first kiss as a kid probably just as stressful as the first time you lost it you know <laughs> and like that like physically your level of stress is pretty much the same because that experience brings the same hormones to the forefront yeah so you know and i'll use another surf example like if i've been caught inside like a four foot five foot day you know a year ago like i would have been like all right whatever like when i first started it was like you know chest high waves I'm like oh my god like thing was fucking huge and i was just in el salvador and i looked up and i'm like Oh my god! I'm like that thing was like ten feet. I'm gonna fucking die here. Like really, this is it. Like you know, I'm gonna have to like have the other surfers just send a note to my parents, like sorry about your son. <laughs> you know, it's like this is gonna be all bad. And and I remember I was like, and and I knew in that moment I'm like, there's nothing I can do. This is this wave is coming, and I'm here, and I'm gonna take it on the head, and this is gonna be just gnarly. I'm gonna swallow a lot of salt salt water. I'm gonna come up for air like once or twice, and I remember thinking I'm like. When the hell is this going to end? Oh my God. But, you know, the thing is, after seven days of that, by the last day of the trip, I was like, oh, whatever, here we go again. Yeah. I can hold my breath. <laughs> well, what I realized was that I didn't, What I, the, the comparison between the two is I would look at something really big coming my way and I would just start to panic. Whereas I knew I was like, you know what? I'm like, what's the point of panicking? Nothing. I'm like, this is happening and I'm going to, you know, get a little tired. But once it's done, it'll be done, and you know the ocean will be back to normal. And I think the the idea that we get—I mean, part of what makes what we do so interesting is that it is always changing, right? Is it's always dynamic. It's not the same predictable, you know, routine, stupid thing every day. Like you don't hear people talk about bowling the way surfers talk about surfing. Mm. You know, like certain, you know, bowling is pretty damn predictable it's like you're gonna go you're gonna roll a ball you're gonna knock down some pins i'm so sure some professional bowler probably is like fuck this yeah one of our one of our students is probably like no there's more to it <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy is a real arrogant dick so fuck him in surfing uh no but i mean the thing and that's the thing like you know part of what makes surfing so addictive and, and wonderful is it's never the same every time you get in the water it's going to be different right and i think it's a it's a profound metaphor for everything that we do as creatives, as entrepreneurs, and, you know, and that's why, like, think about it this way, right? Why is it that somebody who starts a company and sells it, their first instinct is to go and do something else? Like, that's, like, they don't say, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit on an island and do nothing. Right. For Just a Marlon Brando out the rest of the Yeah, night. nobody says that. Have you ever heard of an entrepreneur who sells a company very young and is like, you know, I'm sitting around and I'm doing yeah, jack I'm shit. I'm done. No, nobody says that because the thing is, like, to me, the analogy is waves, right? No surfer catches one wave and says, you know what, that's it, I'm done. It's like, I was late to meet you guys because I'm like, all right, I got time for one more wave, yeah. you know? And I think that that idea of one more wave is exactly what keeps entrepreneurs doing what they do or creative people doing what they do. It's like, you know what? What else can I do here? And what else could it turn out to be? Like, that's what makes it interesting. If it was predictable, it wouldn't be very interesting. Yeah. I think, and to that point too, it's the fact that you're, once you start doing something, then the the next wave doesn't come unless you start doing something in the first place. Yeah. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. 
And then you do several things. And then you start to get to the point where you actually like forget your, you know, whatever your past accomplishments were or past things. Like there's things that we've done that like I have to be reminded yeah. that we did, you know? I love that. Or even Whenever like you realize like, oh yeah, we did that conference. I totally forgot. Right. Yeah. Or even like last year so I gave a I gave a TEDx talk last year, which was a huge like, you know, goal for me. It was like I want to do that by I was by the time I was thirty. No. And I did it, you know, five years before that. And you know, it was something that I was very like pumped about and everything, and it was great. And it's now a year and a half ish since then. And now like I like I I don't bring it up when I talk to people. I don't like it's not a go to thing. It's not something that comes top of mind when, when someone's like, oh, you know, what are you doing? Tell me about what you're doing, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like if someone brings it up, I'm like, oh, like, let me pull up my phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, if someone brings it up, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. You know, it's not like, wait, let me tell you about this, Ted. <laughs> He's a hell of a guy. <laughs> Have you met Ted? Um, no, I, I love that. And so, like, so once you kind of figure that out and you get past that fear, right? And I mean, it is kind of fear. It's, it's oh, there's something bigger coming that I need to now panic about. So once you can kind of calmly step back from that panic and move forward, um, what does that open you up to then? Because bigger um, things, right? I mean, that, that basically, it's like, okay, if I can... So, yeah, I've been obsessively watching uh, surf videos after this surf trip. I'm joking with a friend. I said, I'm like, dude, I feel like people like, like people who watch porn addictively when they haven't had sex for a long time. <laughs> you know, I just got back from a surf trip. Uh, like, literally, all I want to do is be in the water right now. And, uh, like, surf porn's probably a thing. <laughs> like, all that, you know, and I realized, you know, what... Half the battle of big wave surfing is not just being able to ride waves, but to survive the wipeouts in the impact zone, like to, to be able to handle just getting the shit beat out of you, right? So if you're able to handle like things at that level and things that just, you know, kind of push you to a breaking point, what happens is I think your breaking point stretches to a, to a different level. So you're able to attempt much, much bigger projects. Um, you're able to attempt much bigger endeavors, right? Like, I mean, when we started, I, I was, you know, I mean, I'd never done a conference in my life. I'd spoken a lot of them. And I mean, how arrogant and audacious is it for you to say, you know what? Every conference I've been to sucks. I could do it better. Yeah. And I've never had any experience finding out of that. Like, that, that's an arrogant thing to assume. To say, you know what? Not only do I have no experience of doing this, I'm going to basically obliterate the standards that have been set by this industry that's that's you know i mean it, but the thing is that you have i built my way up to that right like i had gone through like okay we've tried different things like we've self-published books like well that worked that worked that worked and you know there's a bunch of shit that didn't work too and so i think that the, the biggest thing that comes from that is this ability to just completely go balls to the wall it's like okay we're gonna go even bigger than what we've done before like a whole other level i think for us it's always every time we do something we're kind of like all right how do we make such a bold statement that it's kind of like shit what are these guys going to do next mm -hmm. you know like we want people anticipating yeah like what they do is so amazing that we can't wait what's next for what's next i feel like that's what separates sort of i mean obviously there's a lot of overlap but like one of the things that separates art from entrepreneurship is this with entrepreneurship you're always chasing a financial or a number or something yeah. whereas in art like 
you know, you've got like method actors and you've got like all these people that'll just do the craziest things to completely immerse every part of their world into what they're doing in order to, you know, get something that's not just hitting a number or pleasing the audience, but changing their, the trajectory of their life. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't know. I feel like we talk to a lot of people who are like, I just want a big following or something like that. But if you're not taking steps in your life to actually form a world that's worth following, yeah, then there's yeah. not really going to be much for you to talk about. If I'm still at my job, clicking away from a nine to five, doing that every day, and then like at night going quietly into a computer and saying, "Hey, everyone, at night I like to think about these things." That's not worth anyone, you know, paying attention to. That's not worth anyone saying, "Yes, I want to follow you on that journey." And it isn't until you, like, we've done what we did, this huge leap, this road trip, everything that we're kind of trying to do, um, that it becomes a story worth engaging. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's really, if you think about it, I mean, anybody we interview has a story worth engaging, right? It's kind of like, wait a minute, these guys are crazy. Like, we've had bank robbers, drug dealers, you name it, you know, <laughs> entrepreneurs. It's like, shit. By the way, people who have been to prison make for phenomenal interviews. Yeah, uh, I bet. <laughs> that's one thing I've learned in, in you know, Five, probably at this point 600 interviews but yeah you're right I mean it, it, it's kind of like okay you know because I get pitched a lot too for for different stories I'm like well why would we have this person is this one of the questions we ask is like is this unmistakable in some way like are they doing something so significant that we feel it's, it's worth following right and you're right there, there are a lot of things where you know it's just kind of like this is really vanilla it's not worth following in any way at all yeah, well, and that's why, like, when we were talking on the drive back here tonight, like, we're very happy that we decided to do our podcast in a different format than what most I'm shows really do. I'm really happy that you guys Yeah, do you know. Like, <laughs> different format. Like, because one what's of the, the... Wait, wait, what's the format you're used to? Because we get different answers, but usually... Well, I mean, you got to remember, I came to this a long time ago. Yeah. Like, I mean, relatively a long time ago. Uh, I mean, we were probably the third or fourth interview podcast right wow. like there was us when we started there was three three main people there was um a guy named andrew warner who runs mixer d um you might be familiar with there was a guy named david sedman Garland who wrote a, did a show called the rise to the top and there was us uh and interviews were like sort of the default format like so so we were like we, so that was it we, it was just the three of us yeah and mixer d was entirely about sort of like startup entrepreneurs or whatever rise to the top was similar to what we did but this show was all video based and we were the ones that were like hey we interview bloggers we evolved sort of you know more and more to interview artists and creators and like you know just people who had fascinating stories is where we went more and more towards sort of being like an npr style show than we did sort of you know like Online marketing shows are boring as shit to me because I'm like, you know what? If you can read it in a blog post, we don't need to hear it on a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's my attitude. To it. <laughs> I like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the format that I, I see very consistently has been, you know, just the standard. Hey, I'm going to take a subject and they're going to be interviewed, and I'm going to come with a scripted list of questions. And I'm going to ask the same questions to every guest, and I'm just going to churn these things out. And that doesn't work because you're actually in my mind it doesn't work because what you're not acknowledging is the fact that you're dealing with a human being and you're missing out on so much of yeah. what could actually happen uh if you did that like I, I like this format this is really cool i have to give you guys credit for that like thank you uh 
Uh, well, we, I mean, we kind of, when we started, we were like, we want this to be like the least contrived thing possible. And no, have it just I be like something it. That, So speaking of least contrived, I'm going to go grab that other beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, too, that it's... So, anyway, so with our podcast... What we've found is that we get to know people so much better than if we just pepper you with interview questions. And we have something, we have, we get like real connections with people out of that. Like, yeah. you know, now like we were like, so like with Jen Cushel oh, earlier so today, cool. like we were on her, we were in her living room on her shag carpet, like drinking beers and doing a podcast. And, you know, and we talked for like an hour after we stopped. Have you recording. guys done all of these in person? No, only on the road trip. And then okay. if there's someone in Chicago who we're doing Most right. of the ones in Chicago well, I no, that. it's like yeah, half and half. It depends on where yeah. people are. But I mean, that's kind of like why we like doing this road trip. Was we get to How has it changed the dynamic person? when you've done them in person versus when you've... Uh, Completely changed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I swear more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's funny because the, the one that really kind of broke, broke down some barriers, we had our friend uh, Liz on. And she's an artist and she's been on a lot of U30 extras. This was in she works. Yeah, she works with Matt. And right. um, we just, we ordered pizza, deep dish pizza went out on my rooftop downtown Chicago. It was like sirens going by, just craziness. We're drinking beers. I had like four beers. Oh no. I You're had, drunk that episode. Yeah, I had a happy hour after work and like they just wouldn't let me leave and I like showed up late ordering pizzas. It ended up being this just hilarious episode. I'm not sure if my parents liked it, but <laughs> it was really great. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of those types of ones really kind of click much better than anything that we've done on the phone. Yeah, and I I think the in person one too. Like, if there's a break in the conversation, it's not nearly as like awkward as when right. it's just over Skype because you can't see the other person. Yeah, <laughs> just their thumbnail, their best picture. Yeah, totally. Or their dog. <laughs> um, one of the things you mentioned earlier though was, and this is going back to the name thing, and like mm-hmm. kind of like, you just you put in the work, and that kind of stuff will solve itself. Uh, I have a great anecdote for that, which Martin, I told you in the car yesterday. I'm a huge wrestling fan, WWE. Okay. I don't know if you ever watched it or whatever. I did when I was a kid. All right. So, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you might remember. Do you know how he got the name Stone Cold Steve Austin? So, for years, he was like this journeyman wrestler who had weird gimmicks. Like, he had long blonde hair at one point, and he was called, like, the Hollywood Blonde. And he'd walk to the ring, like, doing, like, a camera hand motion. Then he was the ringmaster, which was like kind of like a circus thing, but he's the master of the wrestling ring. And none of these characters were working, but he had the talent, right? And he just kept putting in the time. And then finally he was like, he goes to, you know, whatever, the bosses at WWF, and he's like, I need a new character. This isn't working. So they're like, all right, uh, you know, let's collectively come up with some ideas. So he goes home, and he watches some documentary on a serial killer. And he's like, that one, that's interesting to me. We can do something with that. This, like, really just like this... This ruthless guy, okay? And then he goes back to the WWF executives, or I should say WWE as they are now. And he says, here's, what, here's the idea I have in mind for my next character. And then he goes, and they came back to me with a list of a dozen names. I don't remember 11 of them, but the one I'll never forget was Fang McFrost. He's like, they wanted me to play a guy named Fang Effing McFrost. And then he's and he's like, hell no. (laughs) He's like, hell no, I'm not gonna be Fang McFrost. And then he's like, and then later that day I was at home with my wife and she handed me a mug of tea and we were talking and I forgot to drink it. And she goes, You better drink your tea before it becomes stone cold. 
And then I was like, that's the name right there. I'm going to become Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that obviously set his career, you know, into crazy heights. And he became like a, not even wrestling, but like pop culture reference and all that stuff. Right, right. And that's the kind of stuff where it just sort of happened. And the name at that point was like a tactic pretty much. Yeah. But you just, you keep putting in that work and you keep doing what you yeah, need to do. Yeah, it kind of takes us to that whole, back to that conversation of it, the whole thing is a process of self-discovery, right? It's like, how long do you want to give it? You know, I've been thinking about mastery a lot just because it's the chapter I'm writing my book right now. Uh, you know, how do people become masters of their craft? And nobody says, you know, I'm going to give this two years and that's how I'm going to become a master. Anybody who has become a master of the craft at anything, whatever it is, musicians, writers, artists, filmmakers, that's a lifetime commitment. That's like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And, you know, I mean, whatever, if you're a writer who happens to do whatever it is that you're doing for the rest of your life and you do it on the side of a job, so be it. Like, it doesn't matter. There's, I mean, half the people who've written novels that are successful had very other, you know, very different careers before they ever became writers. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's interesting because the, the, the idea that, you know, whatever you do creatively has to support you financially, I think, puts almost unnecessary pressure on a lot of people. Um, like I don't have a job because I'm unemployable. My whole story sure. is I'm not an example of somebody said just like, well, how could you give yourself as an example? Like me as an example would be horrible. I've been fired from every single job I've been at <laughs> and yet I got a book deal with a publisher. It's kind of like, it's not exactly the, the model that you want to set. Right. It's like, you know, here's how you end up with a book deal with Penguin. You go get fired from every <laughs> job you've been at. I'm like, no, that just happened to be a fucking coincidence. Uh, but you know, like I mean, so much. Of, I, I did have a day job when we started all of this, and so there was no pressure to right. make it commercially successful. It was like, all right, cool. I can just do whatever the hell I want, and because of that, I think I was able to take a lot of risks that you know most people would have been. It's like if this thing, like you know, in a lot of ways, we could have diluted what we were doing by mo- trying to monetize it, you know, and cheapen it, yeah. and. Uh, you know, I think that pressure is, is really interesting. And then on the flip side, especially with creative people, I think there's there's this challenge of, of sort of feeling like you're doing something wrong if you're getting paid for your work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I never thought about it in that sense with, like, the fact that because you were employed by someone else, you could afford to, like, dick around in a good way. Because that's the same thing we did for a while. Like, right? Sure, yeah. Right? Three, four years. So you know, we, the, the best advice I ever heard about that, somebody said, treat your day job like your first angel investor. Huh. And the thing is that if people really did that, they would take a portion of their day job and just be like, you know what, create a bank account and, you know, work for whatever this side project is, set it aside and treat it like a real business. Like, yeah. you know, I think that that was, that was one of the more eye-opening experience for us when we really started running it like a business and like, you know, we look at finances and, and we do this every week. We look at how much money do we take in, how much money do we lose, how much money are we spending and how much, you know, how much time do we have left at the rate that we're going? Those are probably the three or four most important questions you could ask financially of, of what you're doing if it's viable. Hmm. Uh, you know, startup people are like, yeah, obviously that to them. The problem is that like in this sort of, you know, solo entrepreneurship creative world, we don't talk about that stuff. It's almost taboo. That's a good point. But it's it's important. It's incredibly important. That stuff is, you know, um, my, my business partner, Brian, seems like, yeah, this is the pulse of the business. And he said it's the heartbeat of the entire business. 
So, you know, we, we know, you know, we kind of know, we're like, okay, well, if at this rate, like, we, you know, we have to make changes. We're like, okay, we're spending money on things that don't make a lot of sense. So like, you know what, we've got a few too many dinners that just don't make any sense. We're spending money on pointless crap. Let's cut this yeah. drastically. Uh, I mean, the thing is that, you know, it's funny because you think you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff until you have a lot of money. But if you worry about it when you have a little money, you're going to be a lot better at managing it when you have a lot of money. I only know this because I've seen what happens when you go from having almost nothing to having a shit ton of money. Like, that's not all yours. Like, you know, I, I got to see a bank balance go from 600 to 120 grand in six months. And I saw that almost all of that was money for our event, just to be clear. It sure. wasn't. And that was all, you know, all that had to be paid to vendors and all that stuff. But when you see something like that and you're not used to managing it, it, it gets messy. Well, that's why. Have you ever seen that ESPN 30 for 30 called Broke? Right? It's about all the athletes who mm. just lost it all because they've never had money before. Yeah. And they didn't know. Like, and the second they got it, they just started spending it as if it was never going to end. That's the thing, right? Is that when you get to these moments, it does feel like it's never going to end. Yeah. You're like, holy crap, we just, you know, brought. I mean, we, you know, we had a string of huge successes all at once. You know, a, an event sold out, a best-selling book, ending on the Glenn Beck show, one post after another going viral. It was like, I, it was literally like I could do no wrong. Everything I <laughs> touched was turning to gold. Yeah. And that didn't last forever, you know? I mean, after it was all done, it was kind of like, holy shit, wait a minute. Now we have to, you're only as good as the last thing you created. I'm, you know, like, you're only as good as the last wave you surfed. Yeah. I love that. Well, and like one of the things that this, there's two things that this makes me think of. The first is um, find ways to get what you want to do in life incorporated into your business. So like the, the, um, the really like great story that I've heard about this where um, the guy who directed Titanic, yeah. uh, I'm playing James Cameron. Cameron. James Cameron. James Cameron just wanted to go deep sea diving and see the Titanic. And they were like, we need a movie that's like Romeo and Juliet-esque. And he's like, let's do a Titanic movie. He had nothing mm-hmm. written. He had like, he like basically tricked them into creating this movie so that he could go dive and see the Titanic. Yeah. And then he had to write a movie, uh, which ended up being, of course, the Titanic movie that we all know and, and either love or hate. And, it's a uh, great movie. Yeah, but like... It makes one movie every 10 years and makes like a hundred yeah. yeah. dollars. It's insane. <laughs> it's like they said in Entourage. You remember yeah. that episode? It's like, yeah, this guy makes one movie every 10 years. Yeah. Aquaman. There's very, yeah. <laughs> there's very few people who are so... Like, maybe at some point in your career, you'll be like, you know what? I'm going to write a book every 10 years and it's going to be so awesome yeah. that I won't write another one for another 10. Well, yeah, but then there's like the smaller versions of that, right? Yeah. So like us do, being at Tech Week or something like that, like... And you know our tickets paper that's such a small version of that big story right Right. it's like you want to be at this event do things that make you appealing for that event and and like have your life kind of reflect the what you want to be known for and one of my favorite things um richard uh link layer i always forget his name but uh he created boyhood in the background of all the other movies that he was making for however many, like what, 15 years or something like that. Just insane dedication to things that aren't going to have immediate payoffs. Because I think yeah. in the world of entrepreneurship, which is very different than the world of art, entrepreneurship is about immediate payoffs. It's like you put in this and you get this return. It's all about ROI. Whereas, you know, you talk to artists and ones who really don't want to make money or like are scared to make money will say, 
No, I just do it for the art. I never want my art to be tainted by the cash. And then they never make a career out of their art. What I think is so interesting is like he had this, he knew, and, and he was challenged early on. There, he, everyone in his life is basically like, don't be a movie director. That's a terrible thing to do. And he was like, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. And one of the first things he started was one of the most recent things that just became successful. Yeah. And he had such a big vision of his life as a creative person mm -hmm. and knowing that would be successful. He wasn't saying, I'm going to start filming Boyhood and in 15 years I'll be working at desk job. He was saying, I'm going to start filming Boyhood and I'm going to make other movies in the process and my three favorite movies before Sunset and all those ones. He filmed 10 years apart from each other just so that the actors would actually age. Like he has these long-term visions of not specific goals, like, I mean, obviously movies are specific goals, but, like, just long-term visions of his life as a creative person yeah. and trust in himself that he's going to follow through. You know, it's interesting, you know, one of the um, things that reminds me of a conversation I was having with uh, the business partner, Brian, so, you know, part of why we get along so well is I think that both of us have this sort of sense of destiny, like, we were put here to do something that, yeah, maybe, maybe there, there's an arrogance to this almost. To, that we were put here to do something that is just not average, like far different than what other people are put here to do. You know, I, I interviewed uh, Donald Miller, who was a, a writer who wrote uh, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years and, and Blue Light Jazz and Blue Light Jazz and a few other books. Really amazing writer, probably one of my favorite writers ever. And we had a conversation about, about this idea of calling, right? And he, he talked to me about how he had interviewed all these people like really high achievers, you know, people like Jack, um, Pete Carroll, you know, Pete Carroll, like, I, I don't know Jack about sports, but I know Pete the Carroll. coach, you mean Pete Carroll, yeah. okay, all right. So it was like, you know, and he, he'd asked all these people, it's like, did you know when you were younger that you were special? And of course, like, to answer that question with a yes is like... Conceited. Uh, it's obnoxious <laughs> to say, yeah. Well, Prince said it, I think, best. Yeah. He goes, if I, wait, was it, it might have been Prince, I think it was Prince, he goes... If I told you yes, oh no, it was Bruce Lee. If I told you that I was meant to, I was meant to do this, you'd call me arrogant. If I said I wasn't, you'd say I was lying. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and he said that of all the people he interviewed, the only person who said yes was Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was like, and he said, despite that, super humble down earth. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, no question in my mind. Yeah. And the the question that he had, the one that really I think was tough for me to put my head around, and yet I, I could see that was he said, do you think everybody has this? He said, no, absolutely not. He said, look around. And that's, 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 it's deflating on some ways, right? Because you're right, like, I think about it, I said, okay, I'm like, for every single person who has a blog or whatever, there's, you know, or, or, there, or for every single person who gets the opportunity to write a book or to make a movie, there's thousands who never will. Mm -hmm. And the, the interesting thing about that is, is I, but, but I think the thing is there's a sense of destiny and when you have that, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's almost a disservice to the world not to do it. So I think that plays a big role in it too, is that, but I think some people just have, it, have this sense that that's it, like you were put here to do something really, really big and you'll do everything trying to prove that. You know, you'll you'll put up with an insane amount of shit that most people wouldn't put up with. I think that you have to be. I think your tolerance for things that most people would never want to deal with has to be incredibly high. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking the other day, like, 
and just purely on like the entrepreneurial front, you have to be a little bit crazy to be an entrepreneur, right? Like, like the phrase, email I got. Yeah, the other, is that on a T-shirt? <laughs> here's here's our favorite phrase: is "fucked up people change the world." Yeah, seriously. But like, like the email I got the other day that was like, you know, for someone I know, being like, "Hey, I can give you this job. It'll pay this much." I, I'm like, you were like, "Do you want it?" I was like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> like, it didn't take two seconds for me to be like, "This isn't something I want." And it's guaranteed money. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly think that, you know, like as much as I hated that idea, it's like, are there some people who are just destined and there are spe- special? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, for every person I interview, there's thousands who listen. Right. Yeah, well, I, so I think it's, it's not so much like, I don't think it's so much like destiny or... Well, you're prescribed this. It's no, more like, no, it's it's our density, man. <laughs> well, I think I think part of it is that people who have a sense of okay, yeah, I'm destined to do this. Like they also have a sense of vision, right? Like they have a sense of they're able to see something that doesn't currently exist. I think that's a huge part of it, right? Is the ability to see what doesn't exist and bring it into fruition. It's yeah. Like, I don't care if you can't see it. I can. Yeah. And that's that's one thing I, I've learned along the way working with different partners and working with different people is certain people could see what doesn't exist and certain people couldn't. Yeah. And the people who couldn't, they don't last very long. Right. Especially when you're not when when whatever it is you're trying to work on hasn't come to fruition. Is is this one of the reasons that you talk to a lot of people who've had these kind of redemptive stories? Because like, do you see that that's something that can I, instigate so, it in your life? You know what? It's funny. One of the things that I, I've always wondered um, is, do I get the answer to that question because I asked the question, or do I get the answer because everybody goes through it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the questions I always ask or, or try to ask, and I try not to script my interviews, but I there are certain moments that I'm very curious about, and even those, try, you know, I try to make sure they don't come across scripted. Um is you know about rock bottom moments right only because I, I personally dealt with like you know moments of, like periods of, of very very bad depression and so that that was what actually got me interested in that whole idea of okay do people deal with rock bottom moments like and if so do they come out of them and how and i'm like why am i getting an answer to this question every time i ask it and i I don't necessarily know that I seek out redemption story, like because I don't know that it's a redemption story. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that before going, and I know what I know based on what I've seen, and those are some of my favorite stories because I think part of what hearing a story like that does is it gives people hope. That no matter where they're at, they kind of see it as okay. Wait a minute, if this person has come from this. Because, you know, the thing is, when you see, you know, sort of these people achieve at the level that they do, you don't see what they've gone through. You're kind of like, oh, my God, this mm-hmm. is this person. They're, like, iconic and amazing. and They do all these things. And then when you hear that, wait a minute, this person was, you know, in jail two years ago or, or you know, spent seven years in solitary confinement or, or done all these crazy things, like, have dealt with pain that is so, like, far out of the realm of what most of us can even fathom you're kind of like wow okay that person can go from here to there i think that the big thing that we have done uh is we've shown models of possibility to people that's a big part of what our our world has has been about is bringing people into it and saying you know what this is a person who at some point was just like you 
and in some strange way is extraordinary. So I don't know that necessarily that I seek them out as much as that's just how the story is. Yeah. I mean, because again, you know, I, 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 I've wondered, like I said, the, the big question that I, I'm still wrestling with is, is why do I get an answer to that question every single time I ask? Mm-hmm. Like, do I, do I, you know, have I, like, I honestly don't think that you can do things that are truly iconic or epic without going through something difficult. I just don't. I, I really don't think it's possible. Um, because I think that that perspective that you get from dealing with something difficult, it makes you a very different person than somebody who's never dealt with anything like that. It's kind of like, the, the you know, to take us back to the surfing analogy, the only way you're ever going to surf big waves is by getting just pounded in the impact zone by other waves. It's inevitable. It's an inevitable part of surfing. And even if you're surfing average waves, at some point you're going to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and yeah. get your ass handed to you. And the ability to deal with that, I think, is a big part of doing what we, you know, all of us do. And, and most of us, you, you know, the thing is that the way that we are brought up in school, at least until recently, is do everything you can to avoid ending up in the impact. You know what? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, we were talking in the car, so we're sitting in traffic, right? LA traffic, on the way here. And we were saying, you know, we've seen or met or whatever, like uh, the, there was a masseuse earlier today who's also an actor, right? And like one of the things we kind of pointed out was if you're in Chicago and you say you're going to be an actor, you're probably at Second City. And if you're at Second City for more than two years and you haven't made it yet, you either have to get the hell out of Chicago and go try and make it somewhere else, or you need to get a real job. Like, there is this... Air quotes, real air job. Air quotes, real job, right? And there's this stigma in, in Chicago, and same with entrepreneurship. Like, we were in San Francisco. Every single person in San Francisco has some sort of business they're working on or startup they're at. Yeah. It's not impressive. No. But if you're in Chicago, it's like, whoa, you're starting a business? Why? And it's like this mindset of, and, and we were doing our, our thing as a side project for like three years. And people were like, oh, you're still doing that? It's like, yeah, it's our side project. We like enjoy doing this. We're eventually going to make this into something that we really do full time and love and all this stuff. But because it's this mindset of if, if your dream doesn't happen in a year and a half or two years, you better go get a job because it's Chicago and the Midwest and that's just how things are. Um, people give up so much quicker. And what I think is interesting when we're out here is people will be, a, you know, someone who's hustling to be an actor and they'll be waiting tables forever. Like they won't ever give up because there's those redemptive stories and because they're surrounded by people who are also doing the same thing. And there's, you know, pros and cons to that. But I, I think that there's that, that was just the it's thing. less defeating. Though, out, yeah. Out here in L.A. Like we're. You don't get crushed you by make the it, right? pressure of others yeah. as quickly. And yeah. I think that. There, yeah, the question that we had asked in the car was, why do you think people like spend so much longer trying to make it here than they do anywhere else? Well, you know, I mean, I'm in so many ways, like I had a lot of friends who made far more money and built far more successful businesses who started, you know, right around the time that I did. And, you know, I mean, we were, at the end of 2014, despite a hugely successful year, like we'd it took a lot of losses, you know, and just a bunch of things just went really wrong. Uh, and I remember thinking, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I 
after five years of this, we're going to just shut the whole thing down. Like we're thinking, that's it. Like that was actually an option that was put on the table. It was just shut it all down and, and just be done with it. And I thought, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to give it another year after six years. And I, I always wonder, it's like two months later, my editor at Penguin Town. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like in February. I'm like, fuck, can you imagine if she had called and I would said, Sorry. Sorry, it's all over now. Shut the whole thing it's down. Done, so, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any jobs at Penguin? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it, it's just such a. It, you know, it's weird. I remember even. Like, even though, you know, the, during the challenging periods, I remember my friend Clay Haber sends me a note and said, you know, we'd cancel our event the, the next year. We never did it because we didn't sell off tickets. And, and Clay said, you know, you should, you should know. He said, this is not the end of the road. But it certainly felt like it for me. I was like, wait a minute, this thing that was this wild success a year ago, like now we can't even get a fucking person to show up to it. Like we don't, we're canceling it and refunding everybody's money. And, you know, it, it definitely felt like the end of the road, right? But the question, you know, for me, if you're like, why keep going? I was like, because one, I didn't know what else to do. So, you know, might as well fill my time with something. <laughs> but, you know, he told me something long before that I remember when I was still sort of frustrated I was like yeah but you know this is great like I've gotten some cool accolades whatever he said yeah man he said what you don't realize he said people who work at day jobs don't get to go and sit face to face with Glenn Beck because they found the book he said he's like that doesn't happen when you work at Accenture and collect a paycheck he said you get to do that stuff because you're willing to take a lot of risks Mm -hmm. and that's you know you look at I hadn't thought about that story until now uh, and, and you know what? Like I said, you know, we hear those stories. Like you said, they're redemptive stories. Of say, wait a minute, this is a guy who got fired from every job he's been at. That's kind of cool, and <laughs> that you know he, he gets to do that. And the challenge is, I, I think that we want that, but we don't want everything else that comes with it. Yeah, that's the part that. Most well, you want the glory, right? You don't want the the all the shit you have to eat to get to the glory. Dude, oh, no. even even Glenn Beck wasn't he went through a real hell of a story to get to where oh, he is. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean he's I mean he, he got fired from Fox. Like I, mean, I, I don't know all the details. I, I'm I'm I may I may be confusing him with um, a chef, but like one of them. <laughs> what? Like, this really, <laughs> Anthony Bourdain. This yeah, someone had maybe both, but they had like you know serious alcoholism issues yeah, and like all this stuff. Like, well. Yeah, I th- I thought both had similar stories. And like yeah, they, Bourdain drinks all the time. So. No, it was, it was uh, the bald guy. And um, but I the thing about those guys is that like now they're at this point where they put, they've gone through so much crap that they're just like no one's no one questioning me at this point yeah. is going to stop my path. So like oh. people hate Glenn Beck, right? Yeah. Like um, and some people love Glenn Beck. Like my uncle has been buying me Glenn Beck books every Christmas for seven years and we just put them on the shelf and we're like enough with the Glenn Beck <laughs> but that's like the point being is that I read this thing earlier today and it's like people that a lot of people hate but actually do amazing things and he has this you know massively diverse um, you know employee base who are all sorts of political standings and no matter who you are and what you believe in whatever you're donating money to he will match it hmm. For all of his employees. Wow. And that's insane when you think about, like, someone sitting there on a pundit table saying, Glenn Beck doesn't, he, he wants the end to liberalism. He's donating to all your causes. <laughs> like, yeah. It's crazy. Like, he is so open-minded to that stuff that he is, 
Like, he, he just has his opinions, and you're not going to change his opinions. And that's what makes him so de- de- divisive, and, and, and that's what makes him successful. But that doesn't change the fact that he's a human being, and he can relate to other human beings. Like, I, I think that's so brilliant. Yeah. I think, too, um, Srini, to your point about, you hit that, like, what was it 2012, you said, when you thought you had come to the end? That was the end of 2014. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So very recently. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't long ago. Okay, so you got to that point, but you kept going. I think the key is really you just you don't stop. Not not you personally. You're an example, but in general, like whatever it is that you're doing to be, you know to become that guy or that girl. Yeah, it doesn't matter if a hundred people read your blog post, if one person reads it, if a million people read it on any given day. You have to just keep doing it. Um, you brought up my music thing, so I'm a rapper as well. And you have to be creative with the way, with what you're going to, how you're going to put it out there too, right? So like, you know what I did for years, even when I didn't even own recording equipment, was I never stopped writing songs. Like you could find me in my spare time, always with a notebook and a pen and writing something. Or if I'm out, I still do it now. If I'm out and I, you see me, I'll think of a line and I'll jot it in my phone. Like you just, you never stop. Even if I don't, I never use that line. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah, can't stop, won't stop. Or even if I'm not going to put it into a song until way later, you just, you keep going at it in one way or another. And like, like for me, ultimately, like in 2011 is when I actually bought my own recording equipment. Prior to that point, I had been doing rapping as a thing on the side for, you know, four or five years at that point. And I would have to rely on when I could go to someone's house who had recording equipment, which was like twice a year, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and then those moments were like huge, but then I just got my own shit and now I can record whatever I want, which is great. And now it's nothing when I have to step into the booth, quote unquote. But in that entire time, it wasn't like, oh, well, I'm out of, I don't have the resources, so I can't do it. It's like, no, you find, how do you make your own resources? Well, if I can't physically record, can I at least do something that's going to keep the creativity going and... Give me material so that when I am ready to record, I can do it. You have things to say. Exactly. Like one of the things I think that stops a lot of people is they'll be like, you know, whether it's a business sense or whatever, it's like, oh, I don't have funding or I don't have the money for it. But I don't have an audience to talk to. Yeah. And it's like, okay, let's say you get the money for it. What are you going to do on day one if you've done nothing to get, you know, to ready yourself for that point? Yeah. You're going to sit, spend the next hour much time catching up on what you weren't doing until you were given those resources. Well, I mean, that's why every day you sit down and write a thousand words. Like, yeah. it's a thousand words that you can go back and pull from the day that you need to sit down and create. And right. I think that's what people don't realize. They just go through the motions every day. Suddenly five years have passed and they have nothing to actually tangibly pull out and say, this is something like, this was my experience. They can't tell their story. That's why resumes are so cut and paste because no one actually has the stories because they don't sit down to think about what it is that they're doing on a daily basis. Right. You should get The Rock on your show. You're talking about rock bottom moments. Do you know his rock bottom moment? I mean, uh, no, I mean, pun intended, but like... That's funny. He, yeah. He's known for his, what he calls his seven buck moment. Uh, he was, he had a pickup truck and he had seven dollars in his pocket into his name. And he said, I'm either going to make my set, make something of myself or I'm going to die in this truck. Well, that's when he got into wrestling. Because he actually, he went to University of Miami, played college football, won national championships there, had dreams of making it to the NFL, had an injury, his last year of college, so he didn't get drafted. He goes to the Canadian Football League, bottomed out there, and that, and he's like, and I was down to my last $7, and I said, I'm either going to make something of myself or I'm going to die here. 
and now look at him. Yeah. So if you can get in touch with with, uh, with Dwayne we'll Johnson's people, hey, you know I I, I meant Slash today. Really? No shit. <laughs> out the waves? No out, shit. No. Out in the ocean? <laughs> no. So I, 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 is he wearing his hat on the surfboard? <laughs> no, it was the most random thing. I, I actually went to uh, a table reading of Family Guy. One of our listeners is actually... Oh, you mentioned, yeah. Yeah, yeah you family. mentioned that. And he was there? Wow. So he is wearing, he, he is wearing a hat. <laughs> it was the most random thing. It was like Slash... Was he there for the episode? Yeah, he was okay. just there to watch the table read. Invited him. So how how is a Family Guy table reading? It's hilarious. Like it, you know, you don't get to see the cast, but it was really cool. It's just like uh, you know, all the writers around the room reading, and it was just funny, really, really. Oh, funny. so the writers read it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. They they do the voices and stuff, and it's just you know, you get to see and like the the guy who was one of our listeners was a sound editor. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, you go in, you can see. It. He's like, I can tell which are going to be cut. It's funny because I got to see sort of unedited, you know, raw, unfiltered. I'm like, wow, these guys are racy. Like, they definitely, you know. They, they have to dumb it down. They go all the way. So oh, then. I mean, there's so many racist things in there. It's just funny. It was <laughs> awesome. Like, it was hilarious. That's pretty cool. I love in the Six Days to Air when the South Park documentary, when they're like I've sitting there. I've seen that one. Yeah, they're sitting there with like the legal woman. Mm-hmm. And they're like, every time she goes, <gasps> they're like, we're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great documentary. Oh, it's amazing. That that I mean, so there's a crew of people who are truly masters of what they do. And look how long that took to become what it is. You know, I mean, they've been at that for a really yeah. long time. Because even like the early episodes are nothing like what they are. I mean, the same creative. You no, know, the, the, creative the level the, same, the level of just pure insight, like about what is going on in the world. South Park is one of the most intelligent. Oh yeah. Like yeah. the social commentary, like and the knowledge about pop culture, like the way they're able to integrate all that. Those guys have to be super well read. Yeah. yeah. Like I can't imagine those guys aren't just total right. geeks who like read shitloads of books and know everything about what's going on in the world. And yeah, that's I mean, something that the first episode was Cartman gets an anal probe, right? Yeah. Completely different. Well, no, still- actually, the first episode was. Um, Santa and Jesus yeah. battling the shit out of each other on VHS hand cut paper and that got shot that just ended up going quote unquote viral pre-internet dial up internet no pre- no the oh, okay. VHS oh okay pirated and sent around Hollywood to movie producers okay because movie producers just thought it was hilarious they're <laughs> like we can't do anything with this but it's funny yeah. as hell and that is what kind of kicked that, off the VHS thing. thing I didn't know about yeah, well, and what blows my mind about those we, guys... We saw it on the internet. That was the first time we ever saw it. It was like... Because South Park came out when I was in college. Well, yeah. No, this was before they got the show. This, oh, okay. was, this was what got them the show. One, no, I know what yeah. you're talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Sk- that skit we got via internet. Um, I mean, this was before there was YouTube or any of that stuff. I don't know how we got it. All I know is it got sent around. Oh, I mean, I, I my story could be wrong. Who knows? I'm hearing it second, third hand or whatever, but... Yeah, it like that is kind of the thing though. It's not like there was a YouTube link or something. Yeah. Maybe it was. I don't know. But yeah, no. I mean, those guys are brilliant at what they do. Like that's that, and that's the thing. I think that we, what I think we have an opportunity to do, even at the level that we're at, is to learn. Here's the thing. There's no barrier. Like you know, a long time ago, there used to be this barrier that would keep us from being able to do things like that. Now there's no barrier to actually do that. It just takes the skill to mm-hmm. do it. And most people are like, yeah, I could never do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what blows my mind about those guys, one of their first movies was a musical mm-hmm. about Hannibal and this whole thing. And 
and it bombed terribly. And my favorite thing about like sticking with what you're working on, whatever your craft is, whatever you're trying to get great at your skill, is the fact that they went from like this first movie musical that was just absolutely like did not work to the most talked about and successful musical on Broadway. Like that trajectory is amazing mm -hmm. to go from like and and to do South Park in between and like just the whole idea that every episode he's literally been practicing making musicals for 20 years in each episode. Right. And yeah. and then he finally gets to the point where he can partner up with the Avenue Q guys and now make something real and right. it not only works but my mom would go see right. him. like someone who hates South Park and has banned us from watching since we were five years old. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. All right, I think we've hit our hour. Mm -hmm. I cool. think. Way um, fast, but yeah. <laughs> before we wrap up, Srini, where can our listeners find you and what are you working on? Um, unmistakablecreative.com and depending on when this is airing, we're working Next on... week, I think. Okay, so this won't be out then. But you're in the process of producing an animated series based on our interviews with a very big production company. Awesome. Love it. Great. So to close out the show, we'll go around starting with Martin, ending with you. Me in between, obviously. <laughs> uh, and we'll give our answer to, to this episode's question. Well, so we never really answered this episode's question. Should we go back to the question we asked earlier today? How do you roll with the punches? That was kind of... I guess so, yeah. This wasn't really about that, that guy or that girl. It ended no. up being... All right, well, sure. Yeah, so like <laughs> there was a question we had earlier today that we didn't actually pursue, which is how do you roll with the punches? And it's pretty much everything we touched on today was yeah. rolling with punches or... If we want to use a surf analogy, I'll let you come up with that when it sure. gets to you. But um, so the way that you roll with the punches, in my mind, is uh, to get get punched in the face in the first place. So like mm -hmm. uh, yesterday, I, I've I've gone up and down with my fear of writing, and yesterday I got rechallenged to start writing again, and I wrote it and I put it out, and you know you get likes and you all that stuff, which either hurts or helps, but whatever. But uh, roll with the punches, go get punched in the face. I like it. Uh, my answer, so we're doing how do you roll with the punches? I actually still think it's the same answer as I would have given if, if we did how do you become that guy or that girl. It's You just you, you don't stop, regardless of who's watching, uh, whether it's a lot of people or, or a few people. Once you get punched in the face, you don't stop getting punched in the face and you don't stop giving punches to other people. Because once you stop because, oh, it's not as successful as I thought it would be, you close all the doors. Look what happened. You stuck with Unmistakable Creative. Who knows? Maybe you wouldn't be at a table reading a Family Guy today, and you wouldn't have met Slash had you stopped what you were doing. <laughs> so random. Right? <laughs> but you yeah. just you, you keep going. That's my answer. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you pretty much nailed it. You know, getting punched in the face, waves on the head, right? How do you surf bigger waves? You, you survive getting the shit beat out of even smaller ones, and then those just become normal after after a certain point, you're like, okay, cool, whatever, I've done this before. I think that it's just, you know, conditioning yourself. Learn to like the taste of salt water. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so it, it, it really, to summarize all of our answers, it's you just adopt the chumba wumba, tub tub thump, and get knocked down. Get I'll get again. knocked down and knock it up again. <laughs> and you piss the night away. <laughs> all right, Shreedy, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay, okay, that was We're our back. conversation with... Srinivas Rao. Srini, thank you for joining us and putting up with a pit bull boxer just a hund on the loose. all over you during that conversation. Was is los. Ein hund is los. What the fuck is that? It's German. Just roll with it. I butchered it. It's bad. What does it mean? 
uh, is what, was ist los is like, what's up or something like that. I don't know, I'm, I'm going to get called out of my German here, right. but, uh, but it's, my grandpa would always respond with, das Hund ist loose, so the dog is loose. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> Srini, thank you for joining us. Check the show notes to find where Shri- you can find Srini at. Uh, he's they've got some really cool stuff rolling out over the next couple of months. So oh, keep an w- eye out. It's listen to the amazing. unmistakable creative podcast in addition to our podcast. But to keep following along with what we're doing on our road trip and the cool stuff we have going on, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes as well as head to idealemon.com and follow along where we're documenting every step of our journey there. We will that that does it for the LA st- uh, wing of our podcast. Next up. Uh, is Vegas. I actually don't know if we're doing an episode there, but we'll at least be blogging about it. So Vegas is next. After that, we hit up Austin. And Austin, we got some cool stuff lined up. So stay tuned, and we will see you on the open road. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas unless it's on Instagram. Unless you're fear and loathing in loss. Vegas. (laughs)